about the middle of our series entitled Dealing With Your Stuff, Paying Attention to What You're Paying Attention To. We've already looked at dealing with sin, guilt, and shame, dealing with false images of, of God or incomplete images, and last week, dealing with your broken image of you. Today, it's about fear, dealing with fear. Keep this one thing in mind. God is love. In a sense, I could stop right there today and say, there's your lesson for the morning. God is love. But, gonna, but how does that help us with our fear? So we're going to learn that, I hope, this morning. Uh, your outline's kind of extensive. I'll, I'll, I'll zip through it, don't worry. Okay? <laughs> Either that or I'll have you here till 3 o'clock, you know. But... Um, God is love. It's a worn out phrase, uh, unfortunately. It, it, it becomes white noise after a while. But I hope that you'll see from this morning's text, the, just scratch the surface of the depth of God's love and what it means that, that we are loved and can have access to love. I've mentioned before I'm part of a, of a Facebook group called Small Church Pastors. And this is an international group with thousands of pastors across many, many denominational lines. But with, the, with that basic um, commonality that we pastor churches like this, you know, fairly small, many of them rural, not all of them, many city, it, it, it runs the gamut. And one of the things that uh, we're able to do there is if you can post a poll, you can create your own. So I did that. And I asked these pastors, I said, what is it that the people of your church are most afraid of? What is their greatest fear? And there was a whole bunch of different answers that came across, but these were the top ones. Okay, So you, you, one person could post one of these, and then other people could click that one or like it, and then you'd see uh, how many were, were the most, um, most clicked responses, I guess you could say. So uh, number one was... Um, my unsaved family members, people were fearful of those who don't believe in Jesus. They're, they're you know, people that they love in their life. Uh, the second one was existing day to day with so many challenges and threats. I thought that's a good, honest answer, too. Because we keep on having all the stuff we're dealing with. Even as COVID seems to wind down, then it winds up a little bit again. And, 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 the, and the politics and the war and inflation. Boy, we've, we've got a lot to deal with, don't we? That can make us scared. Increased persecution against Christians was a, a big fear among many people. COVID. Escalation of the war in Europe. And... More, more recently, inflation and increasing risk of recession. And, and there were several others, but these were all the ones that had several, several um, clicks on them. And I, not that I'm not going to go into any detail about any of those. I just want us to recognize that fear is a common trait. Fear is a common trait among Christians. Fear is a common trait that um, among people. And we could easily double that list if we go around the room right now. And if you would you'd be honest and open enough to say, here's what I am most afraid of right now in this moment, today on the 15th of May in 2022. There's no lack of things to be afraid of. You don't need to be afraid because 
God is love. Don't need to be. We still will be, but it's never something that we have to raise the white flag and give up. Well, I guess I'm just going to live in fear the rest of my life. That's not what God called you into. That's not why Jesus came. He came to present exactly this, a a demonstration in word, in deed, in action, in character, in relationship. Everything about Jesus expresses this truth, that God is love. I want to do a a real quick um, overview of of the book of 1 John because it, it, it helps to jump into the fourth chapter here. And so this was written, of course, by John, the same John, the son of Zebedee, brother of James, friend of Peter, wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the Revelation. And so this John, also the second and third John, but this is a much longer letter than those two. And he wrote this for several reasons. It was sort of a, a, a general letter to believers that was passed around. And his purpose in writing it was a couple of key things. To, it was written to refute something called Gnosticism. Okay, that, that's a G-N. And notice that the word Gnosticism is, it's about, it's similar to our word knowledge. Okay, so we, instead of a silent, silent K, it's a silent G, but you know, K-N-G-N. Um, and it was a rather complex heresy that began to develop even during the apostles' lives, including John, of course, and developed even further for a couple of centuries. And one of the attributes of this heresy is secret knowledge, that God's holding something out on you, and you have to you know, go inside your mind more and, and, and search out, and then God's going to give you the real stuff. It's like this salvation through Jesus thing, that's kind of nice, but if you want the real, the real meat, the real stuff, you have to, you know, go deeper. And I'm, I'm not saying we can't understand God better and learn and grow in our faith, but the basic essence of our salvation is something that a child can understand, and we should never forget that. So there isn't something deeper that we're missing out on. It is simply this. God is love, and he loves you. And, and recognizing the depth of that love. And, and so the other aspect of this was that uh, Gnostics did not believe that Jesus actually died. It was more he appeared to die. And, and they make a separation between mind, um, excuse me, spirit, and, and, and our physical selves and our spiritual selves. And the, the physical self is all evil, and only the spirit is good. And that's the kind of thing they were teaching. And it does get kind of complex and complicated going forward. But John is concerned about this teaching because they're claiming that Jesus didn't really physically die. He just appeared to. And you'll notice in, in John, in 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, that which we have heard... We have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands. This we proclaim to you. Heard, seen, touched. He's right away refuting that. And another aspect of this gospel, is this, this epistle, excuse me, um, it's written to 
believers, to give believers confidence. Eight times in this letter, he uses this line. This is how we know. And I encourage you to, to, to go down that list sometime and, and look at the, the confidence builders that we have. This is how we know. Again, he's fighting Gnosticism, like there's a secret knowledge that you have to gain somehow by letting go of the body and just going into the spirit completely. And John is saying, now here's how you know, and here's the basics of how you know. And he lists all of those in all these scriptures. So he's fighting the secret knowledge with real knowledge that's available to us right now. And then the other one is um, written to believers to give assurance of eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 13. What I like about John's writing is it's so straightforward. And so if you want to know what a purpose of, of his writing is, well, he says it literally in his own words in the 13th verse, closing down this book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance of salvation. Because when a... A false belief begins to enter into the church, enter into individuals' hearts and minds. It creates doubt. And doubt creates fear. And so John is is pulling them back and saying, you can have confidence here and now. And he is among the eyewitnesses who, who proclaimed this and wrote this down so this message could be passed on well behind his, beyond his lifetime and is indeed with us right now as we listen here in this hearing this morning. Assurance of eternal life. But the main thing here is in this letter is that this is written to remind us that God is love. 45 times in this little book of 1 John, you find the word love. 45 times. In our reading this morning, which is just a portion of the fourth chapter, you find it 27 times. What is John trying to get across to us? How many of you raised children who... um, You told them something once and you never had to tell them again. Okay, if you raised your hand, um, you either weren't being honest or you should go on a book tour. All right? (laughs) How'd you do that? (laughs) Because children and adults need to be reminded, need to be told again and again and again. And eventually it does get through. Eventually the message works its way in. So why does John use this word? Why does John keep coming back to this phrase? God is love, God is love, God is love. Because we forget. And because the experience of life in this world is quite often anything but loving. It is filled with hate. It is filled with doubt. It is filled with fears. So in order to combat the reality of this broken, sinful world that we all live in every day, this reminder is something that you need to put for you before you every day. Repeat back to me these three words. 
I am loved. Go ahead. I am loved. One more time. I am loved. If you could start every day with that. As I mentioned uh, with, from Psalm 139, look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I am fearfully, wonderfully made. And add to that, I am loved. We have to remind ourselves because the enemy wants to say, no, you're not. You don't deserve love. You're not good enough for love. You haven't done enough to get love. You've broken everything. You failed here and there. That's what the corrupted heart and mind tells us. So what does John say about love here? Just in these verses from the fourth chapter, there is that basic word, God is love, and God is the source of love. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. The evidence of knowing God is the presence of love in me. The eighth verse, whoever does not know God, does, excuse me, every, um, this is seventh verse, forgive me, that's the wrong reference there. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Take that line by itself for a moment, consider the, the impact of that. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That really challenges our evangelical descriptions of, of kind of the, the limitations of salvation. You have to say this prayer this way and believe in Jesus in your heart. And of course, we, we, we encourage all of that, but there's also something about love itself that, that gets through to people, even if they haven't heard the message of Jesus. And I've, I've spoken about this before. It's, it's that there is something that our hearts call out to to, to react differently to a world that does act out in hatred, to, to, to take a different route when everyone else says, take in for yourself and, and, and be, be selfish and be violent or be hateful. There's something calling to us that says, no, there's a better way. It is the way of love. And when people embrace that way, they are, in effect, bracing, reaching out to, seeking out for God. Now, in Christ, we have that fulfilled but everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Don't argue with me about it. John wrote it. It's in the Bible. And then God is love. If you don't love, you don't know God. This is the eighth verse. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. God's love was shown to us in Jesus. In the ninth verse, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that the world might live through him. As I mentioned last week, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And what do you see in Jesus? You see a consistent and persistent way of love expressed in his words, expressed in his actions, expressed in the, the willingness to let go of his godliness, as it says in Philippians 2, and become human, and then to, to be, even as a human, to be very humble and humbled, and even at that, 
going into the humiliating experience of the arrest, the persecution, the suffering, and death on a cross. In every possible measure, Jesus was way more humble than anyone would have expected or asked God to be. And he did all of that based upon love. That is how much God loves us. That he knew his son was going to suffer and die, and he let him do that, painful as that was for the father to see, because he loves you and I. That's the measure of love. God is love. God initiated our loving relationship with him by removing the sin problem. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is that basic expression of what provided this way to God, this way of love, was his death on the cross. God is love. Our response to love is to call is a call to love people. Dear friends, verse 11, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That's, that's the other daily reminder that we have to have there to, to say, you know, God is love and I am loved by God to accept that and embrace that and draw life from it. But then from there, it, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to Okay, I need to love the people around me. I need to love my husband, my wife, my children. I need to love my brothers and sisters. I need to love the people at work. Oh, even them. (laughs) (laughs) I need to show love to the people I meet out in public somewhere. Oh, even them, yeah. And and there's, there's simple acts of love and kindness that too often go unnoticed. And um, I, I, I like to call this the, uh, the mini-mart expression of kindness. How often do people hold the door for you when you're going in and out of Wawa or Turkey Hill? And, and for me, it usually happens. If, if there's someone else coming or going, they'll, oh, here you go. That is a simple, basic, kind expression. That's part of love. And so there, we see these, these little things in our world, or we don't see them because we're so focused on how terrible and awful things are. When you're driving home from work, whatever your commute is, or it's close by or quite a distance, how many cars do you think you pass? How many cars do you, do you interact with in traffic? You probably never even stopped to think about how many that would be. If you're going all the way to the city, it could be thousands. Probably is thousands. Uh, closer by, hundreds. We'd have to go real far to get it up into the hundreds, right? How many of those hundreds does it take for you to get annoyed and say, oh, all these drivers out here, wow, they're crazy. Am I right? We can pass... Hundreds and thousands of responsible motorists without one problem at all. But when one dummy comes up going too fast, cutting us off, doesn't put the turn signal on, etc., etc., then, oh, no one knows how to drive anymore. What's the matter with these drivers? 
And then what do you do? You look at the plate. Okay, they're from out of state. I understand now. No. <laughs> of course, that's not really true, but we, we try to characterize it that way sometimes. Make us feel better about it. I don't know. But that's the, that, that's the nature of, the, of this, that when we choose to love people, we will also see basic acts of love in different ways that, that we're... Are, it's like setting your mind right. That's why Paul talks about our mindset and our heart set. When we begin each day with the idea that I am loved and God loves me and I'm going to show love to others, we have this conscious and subconscious awareness of that love is happening or there's an opportunity, small as it might be or big as it might be, to extend love to somebody else. But if I'm focused back on me because of fear or other reasons, then I'm less likely to see those opportunities, less likely to be grateful for the ones that came my way, and more likely to act in the opposite ways toward other people. All of that in this simple instruction this call to love other people as a sign in your life of your love for God. God is love. The presence of my love for people is evidence that God exists. It's not just that we want love to happen. It's that my kindness, my, um, my compassion is evidence that there is a God. People that, that want to, to dismiss God and, and, and embrace um, an atheistic way of life, they'll often ask, well, where is God? Point to him. Oh, I see God in here. I see God in what, 25, 30 examples this morning. I see God in, I saw God yesterday when we're, we're serving soup and, you know, selling treasures really cheap. And um, but just to interact with people as they're looking over that table filled with stuff out there in the schoolhouse, and and uh, that you donated, and it helped make you bring bring in some money for the church to help with the bell tower. But it's it's not just about the dollars that come in. We want that to be good. What was more important than that, very honestly, was the connection that you made with one another and working together all day. And the simple, hi, how are you? We're glad you came today. And maybe they would talk with us. Maybe they didn't. Julia was out with me and Claire out in the schoolhouse a good bit of the afternoon. And people came and left. And we got into conversations. Those are simple acts of love that matter. Because if God is love, then people need to know that love exists. And when love exists, yeah, God can exist too. And he can, he can be seen in, in us. God is love. My acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God gives me the assurance to rely on his love. 15 says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. A reliance and assurance of his love. Um, it's, it's not just that I know God loves me right here. It, it's not a mind thing, although the mind has to accept it as true. 
but it has to go into the heart, into the lives, into the hands, into the feet, into the words, into the attitudes. All of that gets infiltrated by love because of what Jesus did, because that was made possible by this great expression of the Son of God on the cross for us and in His resurrection for us. God is love. My connection with God is based entirely upon love. Uh, the second half of 16, God is love. Whoever lives, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There's no add-on here. There is no secret knowledge that you have to get in addition to this like the Gnostics were claiming long ago. Or even today, although we're not going to call it Gnosticism most of the time, there are, in, in some segments of, of Christianity, there's people that are, are looking for something more. Yeah, yeah, Jesus loves us. We're, that's good. We base our faith on that. That's great. But they, they want something deeper somehow, and they're looking for some alleged prophet somewhere to, to make an expression and a prophecy. Oh, here's what matters. Here's the secret knowledge. Here's... You know, this new information. You know what that's doing when you start to believe that kind of thing? You're telling God that Christ wasn't enough. You're telling God that his death and resurrection was insufficient because I need something more. We can always have more of his love impacting our life. And that, again, is expressed in how we treat others. Not just, oh, I love Jesus more and more and more and more, but if you still act like an idiot toward other people, well, then, then you're lying to yourself. And, and he goes on to say that here. Um, my confidence before God is based upon how much I am like Jesus. It says in 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment in this world we are like Jesus. There again, people see Jesus in you. People hear Jesus in you. You are, you are reflecting, you are expressing. Even if you don't use his name directly, you can still impact people by the way in which you live, what you do and what you don't do, what you say and what you don't say to reflect Jesus, that you are like him more and more. And then there is no fear in love, verse 18. That line stands all on its own. There is no fear in love. Perfect, mature that is, complete, grown up love drives away fear. God is love. If I am afraid, love is incomplete in me the end of that 18th verse, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So if you find, when you find yourself in a moment of fear, and we all do, it's not like it's going to evaporate completely this side of heaven, but when we find ourselves in those moments of fear, back up to the roots of it. What is it, when I began the sermon with that slide of of what pastors felt their, their congregations, their, the people in their churches were most afraid of right now. What is it about that that makes you fear? And what does that point to in your heart? And is there a lack of love there? Now certainly we can be afraid of other things that, um, 
you know, such as just getting hurt or, 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 or dying. But when you think about it, even, even dying, ultimately, there's still good news there. There's the best news ever, that there will be life beyond this. Yeah, and that's where Christ will meet you. And of course, we don't want to go there until we have to, until it's our time. But if that's the greatest fear, then love has even conquered that fear. And then any other fear that we have, can, can we dig back and, and really find the roots of it? Sometimes the roots of fear is our desire to control and a fear of letting go of that control. I asked a moment ago if you know, your kids always listened when you told them something to do. What is the fear when they don't do that? Well, they're going to not grow up to be good people. And Okay, you want to direct them right and you want to give them a good path and that's important that we do that. But there can also be a fear there, well, how is that going to reflect on me? What are people going to think of me? And I have to double down on my control of my son or daughter because I don't like the way this is reflecting back on me as a father or me as a mother. And there, there's just one example. When you, when you follow the roots of fear back, what's it really telling you? You know, I can't control my child. Well, do you love your child? Yes. Well, then learn to let go. Get them safe boundaries and, you know, they're going to bump into the wall here and there, but pull back. Let go. God is love. Love was initiated by God. It's already there. He, we love because He first loved us. This is, again, a theme throughout the gospel, throughout, throughout the New Testament, that the love from God began with him. We didn't have to put ourselves into position to receive it. We didn't have to earn that somehow, pay for it somehow, be born into the right, the right family, the right country, the right culture. We simply had to respond to what's already been there for us, and that is God initiated that love. It's ready to go for you. God is love. If I hate people, I am lying about loving God. This is a, a pretty stark warning, isn't it? Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Well, there's another one to stand on its own. A liar. How much hatred do we see in our world? And how much, very sadly, is that coming from sometimes people who claim to be followers of Jesus? They are lying. They are lying to themselves. And, and before I cast stones at others, before I you know, talk about the speck, I have to make speck in their eye, make sure there's nothing in mine. What am I doing or saying that maybe in a subtle way is either expressing hate or leaving hate go unchecked in some way? It, it, it's in there somewhere. And I have to be careful that it doesn't, it doesn't come out. And um, I don't, I don't want to express to the world that, that God is this way, that I'm a follower of Jesus, and under certain conditions, hate is okay. Under certain conditions, well, yeah, the Bible says we're supposed to love all people, but, well, not here. Well, not them. 
It's never an option. Yes, there's times to stand up for against evil. Yes, there's times to stand up against injustice. And there's ways to do that, but you never set love aside to do it. You see the difference there? You never set love aside to go and take on evil. Hate is not an option. And then lastly, God is love. The only command that matters is the command to love people. In the 21st verse, it says, He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, if if that isn't enough, then, well, how about if we go to Matthew chapter 22, 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. If that's not enough, how about Galatians? When Paul was addressing a, gr- a problem where people were going back to the law, they believed in Jesus but thought they still need to, to obey the law, things like circumcision. Galatians 4, excuse me, 5, starting verse 4. You are trying to just be justified. Let me start again. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly wait by faith the the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Now hear this last line. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is what counts. This is what matters. Now, I talked this morning about the love of God, and the title today is Dealing with Fear. And I haven't touched on fear very much. That's right. Because the more you focus on love, the less space fear has to grow. The, the, the less opportunity it has to take hold and to run deeper. Focus on loving God and the love you have from God and giving it to other people and fear starts to go and take a back seat and fear starts to, to evaporate. I said how 45 times in this book, John says love. He says fear four times. It's all in this one verse, the 18th verse. And it's all to refute love excuse me, it's to refute fear by the way of love. You don't need to be afraid because God is love. Embrace that, draw life from it, believe it, trust in him there. Father, may your love overwhelm whatever fears that we have. Whatever fears that have have gripped us, May we come back to that basic and essential truth that God is love and that love is available to all of us 24-7 because of Jesus. Help us to believe that, to live that, and then to show that before other people. In your name, amen.